Beathard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. Ah, he got it! Smith! Touchdown! 85 yards! Iowa! 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Don't miss a thing from the world of college football. Stay right here for College Gridiron on WFUV Sports. edition of College Gridiron, a WFUV podcast revolving around college football. We have a huge week four slate upcoming, but before we get into that, we're going to look back at week three, some of the big matchups, Colorado State, Colorado, of course, Colorado winning in in double overtime, excuse me. We also got a big SEC game this past weekend in Tennessee, Florida, Florida coming out on top with the upset. And then we're going to take a look ahead to this insane week four slate of course, starting out, we're going to be talking about number six, Ohio State, traveling to Notre Dame to take on the number nine, Fighting Irish. And then we're going to close it out with our game picks of the week. I'm Eric Rhodes, joined again by Evan Harkin and Brendan Shorey. How are you guys doing, fellas? I'm doing great. Like you said, Merrick, we had a lot of great games last week. I have a good slate this week coming up. Uh, big Pac-2 game, big SEC games this week, so I'm really looking forward to this week. Uh, I can't agree more, Evan. I mean, the slate this week in college football, there's probably five or six games that could be game of the week. So many good games to watch. And then you add NFL the day after. I mean, it's a great weekend. I just couldn't be more excited. Yeah, you know, I mean, we were talking about in pre-production, like there, we could we can make two game of the week picks each. Like there's so many of them. I mean, I think it's like the most ranked matchup since 2015 or something in a slate. So, so we'll talk about that a little bit more later in the show, but, but without further ado, I think we got to get into that game that kept everybody on the East Coast up until deep into the early hours of Sunday morning last week. Colorado, of course, getting the 43-35 win in double overtime, taking a look at some of the Colorado stats. Shadur Sanders finishes the game 38 for 47, 348 with four touchdowns and a pick, his first pick of the season. You have four receivers over 60 yards in this game. Xavier Weaver, 98 yards in the touchdown. Tight end Michael Harrison, 76 yards, two touchdowns. And Jimmy Horn adding a touchdown on as well. Shiloh Sanders with that 80 yards pick six. So first off, starting it out, before we get into any super tight details, what were your guys' overall thoughts of this game and the Colorado win? Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway was that Shador Sanders is still great. He's still playing great. Still proving he's an elite college-level quarterback. Uh, you gave the stats. You said his first interception. I mean, first interception in three games, uh, three four games. Obviously, you're gonna throw one. I think if you're Colorado, you gotta take take in the film and really look at it and try to have a better game because you don't want to play Colorado State in that close of a football game. Obviously, it's a rivalry. We we know teams play up, teams play down, and big rivalries like this, especially in state. But in the end, when you're Colorado and you're a ranked team trying to make a big splash in. Um, in the FBS, you really want to beat a team like Colorado State by a good margin, not in double overtime. But a win is a win in college football. You stay undefeated, so a good win for Colorado. Yeah, I mean, you look at this game, and as you're saying, Colorado should have blown Colorado State out. But what a game we got to watch, to be completely honest. I mean, it could not have been anything better. A back-and-forth game. We saw a two-minute drill drive. I should have Sanders, 98 yards for a touchdown, double overtime. It could not have been anything more 
to ask from this game, and I just it was such an exciting game to watch. Yeah, I mean, when you have the hype prior to the game with the obviously the Colorado State head coach's comments towards Dion, and obviously on the on the field stuff before the game and warmups, it's like especially in this matchup where coming into it it seems so lopsided. It's so satisfying when they when they, when it pans out and you get a you get a 43, 43 to thirty five battle in double overtime. But I mean, there was definitely some bad blood in this matchup, both leading up to it and during it, which which brings me into my next topic of conversation that I think we need to touch on, and that's the Travis Hunter injury. Travis Hunter now confirmed he will be out for at least three weeks with a lacerated liver. He was hit on a late he was hit late on an overthrow out of bounds by Colorado State safety Henry Blackburn. He was clearly shaken up and eventually would have to leave the game. What does this Travis Hunter injury mean to Colorado, and do you think it's going to affect them moving forward in these next three weeks that he's out? And what were your thoughts on the hit as well, obviously? Right, right. Um, I think I think the hit was a bad hit. I think the player should have been ejected. And I think especially in this era we live in, in college football and the NFL and football in general, where they're protecting the players. It's player safety. Keep your head out of it. Don't hit defenseless receivers, which is the definition of what he did is hitting a defenseless receiver. I thought it should have been more than a flag. He should have been ejected. Travis Hunter was clearly had his hands down. He, he wasn't going for the ball. Clearly a malicious play. But besides that, I, I think it obviously will affect Colorado a little bit. But thankfully for Colorado, they have so many good receivers, like you mentioned before, Merrick. I mean, Jimmy Horn, um, they have a, a lot of good receivers out there that Shador Sanders continues to make good look good. And I think it's a kudos to him if you can have four receivers over 1,000 yards in games, four receivers that look really good on the stat sheet. That's also a kudos to how good the quarterback's playing. Yeah, I mean, to start off, before the game even, you could see the two teams were going at it. There was some some discussion between Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, some of the Colorado State players out at about midfield. And just then you knew the game was going to be chippy. And then the hit comes, and it, it was a really dirty hit. I mean, the play was way dead. Travis Hunter had slowed down, and then and then the safety comes in and delivers the hit. I I agree, he should have been ejected probably. Um, I mean, it's not targeting, but it's a way late hit on a defenseless player. That's something you just you can't be seeing in today's game. Um, but yeah, I mean, Travis Hunter, he will he will for sure be missed. He's a freak athlete on both sides of the ball. Colorado does have the wide receivers to kind of make up for it. But what they're going to miss is his superstar ability and his athletic ability. Uh, I mean, he was he could just do it all. And so I think they're going to miss having that key piece, especially with a couple of uh, huge matchups coming up for them against a couple top 10 teams is where he'll especially be missed. Yeah, like you guys said, I mean, they have a lot of wide receivers. I think they might honestly miss him most on the defensive side. I mean, the Colorado offense has been humming these early weeks. I mean, Shadur Sanders is lighting up the stat line. But I feel like the defense is – the defense is – I mean, Dion's been talking about it, but the defense has got to catch up. I mean, this game they had some great plays. They had, obviously, two touchdowns defensively, so that's a great start. But you still let up 34, 35 points to a team that really probably shouldn't have been getting that much on you. But going back to the Travis Hunter thing, he he commented on it the other day. He said he did what he was supposed to do. It's football. And he also went on to say that if the doctors hadn't come to him, because he kept playing a little bit after, and he said if the doctors hadn't come to him, he would have stayed in the game, which, I mean, that's a football guy right there. But, I mean, yeah, you look at his stats, 16 receptions, 243 yards on offense, nine tackles, three passes defended on defense with one pick, of course, in that TCU game, that diving pick. I think that this injury puts a lot on the shoulders of Shadur Sanders, and I think that I think that personally, I think he's ready for it. I think he's looked really good so far, and I think that he is 
in the Heisman watch, I mean, he's currently ranked sixth in Heisman odds, which I kind of was a little bit surprised about. I looked, he thought he would have probably been closer to that 10 range, maybe maybe a little bit higher, but sixth is high for him. I mean, that's he's really in the conversation at this point, which which I guess leads me to our next conversation, which is Shadur Sanders and his ranking among college quarterbacks. Obviously, the season stats so far, 78.7% completion percentage, which is the highest of his collegiate career. He's got 1,251 yards, 10 TDs, and obviously that one pick that he threw against Colorado State. So where do you guys see Shadur Sanders amongst these college quarterbacks that we talk about, the Caleb Williams, the Bo Nixes, those kind of guys? Yeah, I definitely think he's an elite college quarterback. He's been proving that this whole season. Uh, one of the leaders in the country in a lot of offensive categories at the quarterback position. I have him as third right now in the quarterback rankings. I think, obviously, Caleb Williams is one. I don't think anyone's ready to put Caleb Williams out of number one spot yet. Uh, he's just the best the best player in college football. Number two, I actually put Michael Penix Jr., Washington quarterback. I know a lot of people aren't going to recognize that name. I wouldn't have recognized that name at the start of this season. But he actually has more yards, more touchdowns, the highest QBR in college football, and is just better than in a lot of categories than Shador Sanders is right now. And he hasn't been playing bad teams. I looked at the teams he's been playing. There's some, there's some formidable opponents there, so he's doing that against real, real, um, real opponents. I was looking at Riley Leonard after that first game of the season, thinking of maybe throw him around there, but he hasn't he hasn't been playing the level of these guys have been playing. I don't think Bo Nix has been up there. Obviously not Joe Milton. A lot of these guys you would think would be up there coming into this season. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's one guy you forget. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would I would put Sam Hartman up there. Yeah. I mean, he's having a heck of a season. 1,061 yards, 13 touchdowns to no interceptions. He's leading Notre Dame to that nine spot in the AP Top 25 poll. I mean, he's just having a great season. That Notre Dame offense looks explosive. They haven't even really had a close game yet. and they're. I mean, they got a, they got a tough foe this week with Ohio State. But, I mean, if they could win this, Sam Hartman's going to shoot way up in my rankings as well. I thought you were honestly going gonna to go Quinn Ewers there. <laughs> I, I have him in my list. I wrote him down up there. Don't Cause worry. Because I'm, I'm looking at the Heisman, the Heisman rankings right now, and the quarterbacks they have ahead of Shadur Sanders are Jordan Travis, Florida State, obviously having a good year, Sam Hartman, who you mentioned, Quinn Ewers above him as well, and Michael Penix, who you mentioned. But I think that this upcoming stretch is going to be huge for Shadur because not only is he facing his first – I mean, TCU was a ranked opponent, but I don't think TCU is going to be the team that they were last year. I don't think they're as good as they were build up to be coming into the season. But I think this stretch not only are the next two Colorado games against – number 10 Oregon and number 5 USC not only that you're also going up against Bo Nix and Caleb Williams so I feel like these two games if Shadur Sanders can shine I don't even think they need to win the game but if he can shine and combat these top tier quarterbacks with Caleb Williams obviously being the number one quarterback in college football right now I think that would say a lot for him and and help his Heisman um, candidacy and I mean when you look at these two games overall beyond Shadur Sanders, I mean, this is the test for Colorado. This is where Colorado proves either that they're here to play or they're going to get a lot of scrutiny because there are people waiting on Twitter for them to lose their first game. And it, it very well could come in this next two-game stretch. So what do you guys think is the key for Colorado in this two-game stretch? And do you think that they are going to get a win, two wins, no wins? How do you think this shapes out for them? I think the key is kind of their defense. Like you said, Merrick, they've been good on offense. I, I don't see a lot of 
especially the teams that they're playing's defense is holding them back. I mean, without Travis Hunter, obviously you're held back a little bit, but I think their offense is still going to shine. I think Shador Sanders is going to shine. They're going to score a lot of points. I think it's going to come down to will their defense develop and play better. And like you said, they're playing a lot of formidable opponents, uh, nowhere near the teams they've been playing so far. I mean, you got USC, Oregon State, Oregon, Utah, a lot of teams that I would say are probably a better football team than them right now. So this is really the test for them. They're going through that gauntlet, and I think – I think their defense really has to step up if they want to win most of these games. Yeah, I think their defense has to step up. But another thing I would say is that we need we need some players on that Colorado offense to step up and fill the hole uh, that is Travis Hunter. I mean, part of their offense was getting him the ball in space and letting him just create, and now they're missing that. So I need they're going to need guys like Xavier Weaver, uh, Jimmy Horn. You need Michael Harrison. You need these guys to step up and kind of take over part of that role and kind of share that and then your offense won't miss a beat. And then the defense also has to step up. You can't be giving up 35, 40 points a game uh, if you want to win games. you got to step up and maybe try to limit. These are top 10 teams, so I wouldn't say you're not going to hold them to 20 points. But hold them to 30 points. At le- try, try to hold them to 30 points and give your offense a chance. Yeah, and I mean, not, not only this two-week stretch, but looking further into the Pac-12 schedule, I mean, you got teams. I mean, these these teams are all currently ranked. I mean, who knows at the point when they play Colorado where they'll be ranked? But I mean, you got number twenty two UCLA on the schedule. You got number fourteen Oregon State on the schedule. Number twenty one Washington State on the schedule, and of course the back to back Pac twelve champions in number eleven Utah ahead of you. I mean, the one thing that I thought was really interesting about Colorado doing the research for this this Pac twelve schedule thing is that. Colorado is the only team currently in the Pac-12 that has never won the Pac-12 because Utah won the last two, and that was their first two titles. So so Colorado is like this team of destiny this year. It's the last year that you could possibly essentially win a Pac-12 championship, and that's what's on the line. I mean, that's what Oregon, that's what Oregon's head coach was talking about. I, I know he recently doubled down on his comment. He was, he was like, where did Colorado get this move to the Big 12 from? Have they, have they ever won a championship <laughs> here or something like that? But regardless, we'll see how we'll see how Colorado plays. I think everybody's going to be watching that game at 3:30 against Oregon. But moving down to the SEC, we talked last week very briefly about this game in preview, and we we all got duped in that game because number 11 Tennessee went down to Florida, and we we were all very high on the Vols, but Florida coming out with the win, 29 to 16. That's Florida's 10th straight home victory versus Tennessee, and they've now won 17 of the last 19 between the two schools. Graham Mertz, 19 for 24, 166 yards, TD, rush TD. He was he was efficient. Trevor Etienne, 23 carries, 172 yards and a touchdown, and running back Montrell Johnson also had two touchdowns, one one rushing, one receiving. What do you guys think of this game? I mean, Florida came to play. Yeah, we were we were absolutely wrong, all three of us. I was sitting there watching it like, oh, there we go. But the first takeaway I got from it was the Swamp, man. Like, I mean, it seems like they can win any game they want in the Swamp. It's just, it's easily one of the hardest places to play if you're an away team at a college football stadium. I'm not saying that's why they won the game, obviously, but this would be a different game in Tennessee. I'm not saying the Vols would have won, but it would definitely be a different game. I mean, the atmosphere in the Swamp is just insane. It can really... Florida can beat any team when they're in the swamp, and they just dominated the run game. Like you said, Tre- uh, Trevor Etienne, 170 yards, a touchdown. And this Tennessee defense was built to rush the passer, 
built to get in that backfield and disturb things. But when you're rushing the ball for 170 yards, there's no getting in the backfield because the ball is past the backfield every play. It gets the O-line moving. It neutralizes that pass rush. Tennessee was first in pass rush and tackles for loss, and they had none of that showing in this game because the offensive line of Florida was constantly pounding the rock. And I think it was a great game plan by Florida. Go try to run the ball as hard as you can. Don't let that volunteers pass rush get to you and ruin this game. I mean, ETN averaged seven and a half yards per carry. That's just, you. That can't happen no. if you want to win games. You can, you just can't let that happen. I mean, when you let the running back rush for seven hundred seventy-two yards and seven and a half yards per carry, something's going wrong. And this Tennessee defense is just not like it was last year. This Tennessee team overall is not like it was last year. We also saw we saw Joe Milton throw that that interception. I mean. A horrible read. That was Press- his first interception he's thrown since 2020. He was at Michigan the last time he threw an interception, which is insane. Granted, he hasn't been a starter the whole time, but yeah, I just thought yeah, that was nuts. That is nuts. But, I mean, you look at the interception. You got pressure coming in his face, and he decides instead of taking the sack, he's going to throw it up, and there's not a single Tennessee receiver within 15 yards of the ball and goes right to a Gator DB. I mean, Tennessee just completely melted in the swamp. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, and it's something I was definitely, I've definitely been thinking about. Is like, is Tennessee just not the same team that they were last year? Because everybody was so high on them. I mean, they had the great year last year with Hendon Hooker. I mean, they assumed it was just going to carry over with Joe Milton because of the prospect he has. I mean, they did lose a bunch of key pieces last year with Darnell Wright, the offensive lineman going to the league. Hendon Hooker left, obviously. And I think the biggest one is Jalen Hyatt. I mean, there's a lack of a true wide receiver one in this offense as they're trying to find someone to replace Jalen Hyatt, but he has to spread Milton has to spread the ball around to like Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White. I mean, they, I think they need to find a wide receiver one who can have that connection that Hyatt had with Hendon Hooker that made them so successful. I mean, they've been good for college football standings, but not the Tennessee they were last year or the Tennessee they were expected to be this year. So I kind of want to get your guys' take on some of this stuff and I mean, I, I was looking like points per game. They're down, they're down 15 points per game. They're down like almost 100 passing yards per game and, and well over 100 total yards per game. So, I mean, like, what are your guys' thoughts? Like, is this Tennessee team just, just not going to be as good as they were last year? I think the short answer is no. I think they're not going to be as good as they are last year. Uh, I think their defense is still good, still good enough for them to be as good as they were last year. But like you said, that offensive side of the ball, you lose Jalen Hyatt, easily one of the best receivers in college football last year, maybe the best. He was taking the top off the defense. He's just such a problem for defenses, especially at the college level with that speed. And Joe Milton, I mean, he's he's not Hendon Hooker. He's not playing the way Hendon Hooker's playing. And when you downgrade a quarterback, your entire team's going to downgrade. He is a 52 QBR right now. Obviously not what you want from your starting quarterback. You look at his basic stats, 290, two touchdowns, one pick. That's an okay game, but that's not a Hendon Hooker type of game. Like you said, I think they need a weapon. They need someone to help them out a little bit, but I don't know. I don't think Joe Milton is going to end up being what Hendon Hooker was and taking this Tennessee offense to the level that Hendon was able to take it to last year. Yeah, and I think I agree. I think Hendon Hooker was the obviously the most important piece that is missing this year. He was on like historic Heisman pace before he tore his ACL. I mean, he was just passing passing the ball. He could, racked up the yards, racked up the touchdowns, limited the interceptions, and then he got hurt. And I think a lot of people forget about him in the Heisman race last year because he missed the last few weeks of the season. But I think he was really the reason that offense was what it was. He was an, a really efficient passer, rarely turned the ball over, 
and then you turn it over to Joe Melton, who's not quite that. He's not quite the Hendon Hooker. He's still a solid passer, but he's not going to be slinging around like like Hendon Hooker was. And I think that's what Tennessee is really missing right now. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of high hopes around Joe Milton because of that Orange Bowl last year where he took over for Hendon Hooker and he threw for 251 yards and three touchdowns and a win. But this season, one of the things that jumped out to me that you kind of pointed out with, with the Hendon Hooker thing is Joe Milton's completion percentage this year is 63.9. Like that, in the scheme of college football, that is ridiculously low. I mean, you guys, Shadur Sanders, I think he's up by like 78, 79. I mean, that's just really low for for a guy that's supposed to be carrying your offense. He's yet to have a 300-plus yard or even a three-touchdown game, three-plus touchdown game. I mean, it's it's a question because there's so much raw talent there. I mean, people talk about how he can throw the ball like 90 yards or something like that. It's like insane. So, like, do you think it's a Joe Milton thing or do you think it's like a Josh Hype, Josh Heupel and coaching staff thing where, like, they're trying to make him hand and hooker and he's just not like you guys were saying? Do you think it's more on the coaching staff or do you think this is a Joe Milton issue? I think it's slightly both. I think slightly, yes, you have the same – playbook you have the same offense that Hendon Hooker was running the receivers the whole offense is used to Hendon Hooker being back there and now you put a brand new quarterback back there who may be not as comfortable but he doesn't seem uncomfortable he seems like he knows what he's do- what he's planning to do he seems like a comfortable quarterback back there it seems like maybe he just doesn't have the talent or maybe not the talent but isn't playing as good as Hendon Hooker uh, it's almost as simple as that but you also have the um kind of the circle of college football you know you have these good players they grow up they're seniors and now you're left with an inexperienced group, like you said, Jalen Hyatt left, one of their best offensive linemen left. So you're really good when all your players are old and really good, and then usually after that you have a little bit of a down year. You have some younger players, some new guys stepping in. So I think it's a little bit of that and a little bit of Joe Milton simply not being Hendon Hooker. I'm, I'm agree with you on the on the coaching. They they think they treat him like he's Hendon Hooker, and they call plays as if he's Hendon Hooker. But I do think Joe Milton has a part in this. You can see it's not all the time. You can see on some plays he's a little slow in his decision making, um, and he's just a little wrong sometimes on his decision making. Um, and I think that's the big part of why he's not up to uh, the standards that Tennessee has set for him this year. It's just he's a little slower than than Hendon Hooker was on his. I mean, on his decision making, and he's he's just he's not Hendon Hooker, and they're treating him like he is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what adjustments they make with their offense to try to sort this out. Because, I mean, they scored, what, 16 points against Florida? Like, that that's just not going to be enough to compete in the SEC. But I think we need to talk about the winners a little bit here. I think we need to talk about Florida and that run game and Trevor Etienne with, you, like you said, this, what was it, 7 yards per carry on 23 carries? Like, that's insane. 23 carries, obviously 172 yards and a TD on the season. He's got 41 carries, 281, 2 TDs. And this Florida rush offense isn't crazy. I was looking at some of their some of their previous game logs. I mean, last time they last time out against McNeese, they had a they had three different running backs have ten plus carries, and they all went for seventy plus yards and a score, and two of them having two scores. I mean, do you think that this running offense, this heavy run game, is going to be sustainable in the SEC, where it's such a such a high pace, high scoring league? I think if they're able to play defense and hold teams to 16 points, then running the ball like this will work. So it's it's a tandem. You need to be able – if you're really good at running the ball, you also need to be really good at defense. And it controls the clock that way. You absolutely control the pace of the game if you can run the ball down the other team's throat. I, I don't think they're going to go up against the, the, the big dogs in the SEC and run the ball down their throat. I don't think that's how – 
Florida is going to be able to win those games, but I think it's kind of the only way they are going to win games. I don't think they have the dynamic passing ability of a lot of other teams in college football, and I think they really need to kind of make that their MO, their identity, is running the ball and playing good defense. Even though I may not win them every game, I think that's their best shot and best game plan opportunity. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, Evan, I mean, Graham Mertz, I mean, he's a solid quarterback, but he's not going to be that guy that goes out and wins you ball games. And if you have a guy like Trevor Etienne rushing for seven and a half yards per carry every week, that will win you games. Um, and th- I mean, if you rely on that run game a lot, you do you, you control the clock, you control the pace of the game, you control how many possessions the other team's going to get. And if you're able to efficiently do that and play some defense as well, you're not giving up a score every drive. Then I think it's a it, that that could be a recipe to winning games. That could be, I mean, that could be the Florida way to win games. But I don't think it'll be um, like necessarily good against other every other team I mean you, when you come up against teams like Georgia uh, who have great defenses it just won't happen but against these other opponents in the SEC like say Tennessee caliber um, teams I think it will work and you could win those games yeah I mean I'm looking at Graham Mertz stats right now the last two games you really did not pass the ball much 24 attempt 24 passes in the Tennessee game and 17 passes in the McNeese game week one he threw 44 times. He threw for 333 yards, but that was the only loss that Florida has this year. So it seems that the recipe to win for Florida is don't make him do too much and make the running backs do all the work. Let the defense hold it down. But like you guys were saying, I, I just I don't think it's going to work out in the long run in this SEC. I mean, I just don't think you're going to be able to keep up with these high-powered offenses that just air the ball out all over the place. Obviously, Tennessee is one of those offenses, so you can shut it down sometimes, but... I don't think it's going to work when you have defenses that can stop your run cuz once you when you're when you're handcuffed like this with with one form of of offense once people shut that down they know they have you it's just like it's just I don't think it's going to work in the long run for SC great win for Florida they're probably going to they were probably were celebrating like crazy but I mean it's a long road ahead for them but before we before we wrap this up just something quick to touch on is that fight at the end of the game so Grant Mertz was going to take a knee and was hit and the bench is cleared, and Tennessee defensive back Kamal Haddon and Florida guard Micah Mascua just started squaring up like they're about to start boxing. I mean, it's always funny to me when football players like get in a fight like this, and they're they're literally like squaring up like as if they're not wearing helmets. It's just <laughs> hilarious to me. So I don't know if you guys like had thoughts or anything on that or, or anything like that. I mean, no, I yeah. just thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I also thought it was hilarious. I didn't think it was like a bad look or anything. I mean, these guys are competing for an hour straight very physically obviously there's going to be fights like there is in every single football game you don't usually see two people square (laughs) up like they're in a boxing match so it was pretty funny to see that I thought it was just overall funny I don't think any any players received any bad things from that or anything and I think it was a funny way to end the game I mean you got two rivals two two big SEC rivals going up against each other the upset the underdog wins upsets the the favorite in Tennessee things are going to get chippy there's going to be a little brawl at the end and I mean, just the fact that they squared up. I mean, <laughs> come on now. Come on now. It's it's a joke, but it, it's funny. It's real funny. Yeah. I mean, some top 25 implications of this game. Tennessee dropping 12 spots from number 11 down to number 23. Florida jumping into the top 25 for the first time this year at number 25. Speaking of ranked teams, we're moving ahead to a weekend where we have so many ranked matchups. This Saturday is going to be so awesome. 
we're going to dive into a little preview of probably one of the biggest games that they have this weekend, if not the biggest game. I think it's the biggest game. Number six, Ohio State Buckeyes heading to face the number nine Notre Dame Fighting Irish Saturday at 7.30. Ohio State, Notre Dame. What do you guys think? What are you guys' thoughts on this game? What's what's the keys to this game? I think it's going to be a very, very good game. Uh, I think it will be the game of the week. I'm hoping it will end up being two very high-ranked opponents, but I think there's going to be a lot of points. I, I think both teams have okay defenses, but I think there's going to be a lot of points, a lot of scoring. I'm excited to see that. And both teams have new QBs this season. We've been talking about Sam Hartman, how good he's been playing. He's been playing very good. Kyle McCord, been playing slightly less recognizable, but has been playing good football. But I feel like neither team has really played a sizable opponent yet for us to really see how good they are against a real opponent. I mean, Notre Dame played NC State. That's probably their best opponent, but I don't think either team's played a rank opponent yet. And I'm really, really ready to see where I like, where I feel these teams stand amongst ranked opponents. I got Notre Dame taking this one. I mean, Ohio State. Uh, Kyle McCord hasn't impressed me in terms of an Ohio State quarterback. You look at their past couple quarterbacks that get drafted. You got you got Stroud. You got Fields. These are guys who were superstars at the college level. And McCord really hasn't impressed me in that way. We saw week one, he wasn't really getting Marvin Harrison involved. And, I mean, as your number one receiver and the number one receiver overall in college football, that's kind of a guy you'd think they'd aim for. Um, but, I mean, he just hasn't impressed me as much as – I mean, you look at this Notre Dame offense, Hartman, 1,061 yards, 13 tutties, and no picks. Then you look at Audrey Estime, 63 carries, 521 yards, and five touchdowns, averaging 8.3 yards per carry this season. Um, you look at, I mean, Hartman spreads the ball around so much. There's seven receivers with a touchdown. Three of them have multiple touchdowns, five with over 100 yards so far this season. I just don't think Ohio State defensively will be able to match up with how well Sam Hartman can run this offense and move the ball around to every single person on the field. And I think Notre Dame's going to come away with this one pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I was looking it up. It's like the third-ranked defense in Ohio State and the fourth-ranked defense in Notre Dame. But I always find that interesting at this point in the year because Notre Dame has the fourth-ranked defense when they played a team that passed the ball seven times in the entire game. <laughs> so I always think that they're a little inflated at this point of year. I feel like once you get into conference schedules, that's when you can kind of actually looking at those stats. But it seems that Ohio State is big with their rush defense. I mean, their front seven, has that's always been a strength of the Ohio, face, Ohio State defense. And like you were saying, Audric Estime, one of the best running backs in college football this year. He has three straight 100-yard rushing days. So far in the last three weeks, he has 100-plus yards. And in week zero, he had 95. So, I mean, he was pretty much almost there. And he's gotten into the end zone in every single Notre Dame game. So, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Ohio State front seven tries to attack him. And like you guys were saying, Kyle McCord, he's he's kind of not a super flashy guy. Has only six touchdowns on the year. But he's surrounded by NFL talent. At receiver, at running back, on the line. He's just got to play a clean game. He's only thrown one pick this year. He's coming off, I think, his best game so far, 318, three touchdowns. And you, like you were saying, week week one, he didn't really – Marvin Harrison didn't get super involved, but in the last two games, 100-plus yards, and he's got three TDs on the season. I mean, but I think this Notre Dame offense is scary. I think this Notre Dame offense with Sam Hartman is scary because he may not be the most talented quarterback in college football, but he's by far the most experienced college football quarterback and you saw how good that was for Georgia with Stetson Bennett I mean he's fourth in Heisman odds like we were talking about coming in he's got over a thousand yards got 13 TDs no picks I mean it's 
it's just crazy. I mean, this Notre Dame offense is scary, and I think that Notre Dame, with the home advantage, is is going to come away with it as well. I agree with you, Brendan. I, I, I just... I just don't think that that Kyle McCord is going to be able to keep up. No, I agree. I think Sam Hartman is really good. Like you were saying, spreads the spreads the ball around his across his whole offense. I think this is the first time in a really long time uh, that Notre Dame has a better quarterback than Ohio State when they play each other. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the last time it would be the opposite. And I agree. I think Notre Dame is going to take this game mostly due to their better quarterback, their really good offense, and Ohio State maybe having a a defense that you see on paper better than they than they truly are because of the opponents they played. Yeah, and speaking one note on their defense real quick, I mean, both teams have a good defense, but they haven't played anyone yet. I mean, they've exactly. played just out-of-conference games. So, as you were saying, Merrick, the defensive rankings are kind of kind of out the window until conference play actually starts. And Notre Dame just has an offense that is miles better than the Ohio State offense. Yeah, I mean, I was really shocked when I saw that Ohio State is – three-point favorites in South Bend. I thought that was really interesting, but I mean, we're going to have to wait and see. That game is at 7.30 tomorrow. I can't wait for that game. It's going to be amazing. Um, moving forward, I mean, why not continue to talk about these amazing games that we've got going on this weekend? Why don't we do our Game of the Week picks here? So I'll start out with you, Brendan. We'll see who you have for the Game of the Week and who you have winning. I have Ole Miss versus Alabama. We got Jackson Dart taking on Jalen Milrow. We saw Jalen Milrow get benched last week, uh, try to give some of the Alabama's younger quarterbacks a go, see if any of them are up to the task. And we saw him on the sideline congratulating everyone, giving high fives. Great teammate, and he earns a start again this week. He's got 450 yards on the year, five touchdowns, two picks, but he's been sacked seven times, which is kind of crazy. But then you look at the other side, Jackson Dart has been sacked five times. So two quarterbacks who have been heavily sacked. And, I mean, with a game this close between two SEC rivals, a 13 seed versus a 15 seed, it's going to be a crazy game. And then you look at Ole Miss, their defensive coordinator, Pete Golding, used to be the defensive coordinator at Alabama. And so this revitalized Ole Miss defense is, looks a lot like what Alabama is used to. So I'm, I'm excited to see what Saban's able to draw up against a defense that he has schematically run for the past five to ten years and see if um I think I think Bam will take it but I'm excited to see what they do to to kind of match up against that defense yeah I'm going uh Colorado Oregon going to the other side going to the west coast over here uh, I feel like this is a really good matchup because it's Colorado's biggest test so far I mean they're playing a really good Oregon team I think this Oregon team could even be better than the number 10 ranked spot I mean they have Bo Nix who's probably the most seasoned a seasoned vet can get in college football he's been in college football for a long time he knows what he's doing Shador Sanders obviously a little bit younger. You're missing Travis Hunter. I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm expecting a lot of points, passing, touchdowns. I think it's going to be one of those college football games up there in the 40s, 50s. Maybe, hopefully, we'll get another double overtime game from Colorado. That would be really fun. But I think it's going to be a high, high-powered offensive game. I think it'll be a good game between these two elite quarterbacks. I'm going to pick Colorado to actually come away with the win. I think Shador Sanders is the real deal. And I think he's really going to prove it this Saturday. Wow, that's a big one. That's big a big upset. one. Calling the offset. I'm going to actually stick out on the West Coast. I'm going to go with, I've been talking about it all year, the Pac-2, baby. We got the Pac-2 championship on Saturday. Number 14, Oregon State, travels to take on number 21, Washington State. It's a matchup of the last two teams remaining in the Pac-12 conference. Apparently, both teams are hoping to rebuild that conference around themselves. So, so it'll be interesting if, if this game could uh, 
this game could help them do that. I mean, both teams are balling out. Oregon Oregon State's up four spots from their preseason ranking. Washington State is in the top 25 for the second straight week after beating Wisconsin at home. I mean, Washington State has been an extremely high-powered offense this year, especially in the past game with with Cameron Ward, who has nine touchdowns in the year. They're averaging 535 yards per game, 400 pass yards per game. And DJ Uyungle on the other side has had a great year, but he's coming off a tough outing last week against San Jose State. And I got Washington State in this one, honestly. I got the upset at home. I just think that if they can limit the amount that Oregon, Oregon State can turn to the run, I think they can handle this. I think that Oregon State, this is their first test of the year, and Washington State is already battle-tested. They, they already have a top 25 win at home when they upset Wisconsin when they were ranked number 19. So I'm going to take Washington State in this one. But that should about wrap it up for us here on College Gridiron. We got some good breakdowns of the games last weekend in Colorado State, Colorado. Talked a little bit about us being wrong with Tennessee, Florida. And man, oh man, do we have a great slate coming up. Make sure you check out Washington State, Oregon State, Colorado, Oregon, Ole Miss, Alabama, and of course the big one, Ohio State, Notre Dame, among other matchups. We'll be back next week to break them all down. I'm Merrick Rhodes, Evan Harkin, Brendan Shorey. College Gridiron is a production of WFUV Sports.